You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The truth, one truth, ultimate truth, or just an opinion. Welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio. A 21st century look at 12-step culture now with less dogma and more bite. Lend us your ears. Hear what we have to say and then join the conversation. The Sober Truth, debunking the bad science behind 12-step programs in the rehab industry. This is 2014's official offering in the genre of, what would you call it, AA bashing? Everyone's welcome to their opinion. This latest offering is unveiled by Lance and Zachary Dotus. So with that as our news peg, we're going to do a show chronicling the journalism, TV rating, web hitting, and book pushing game that we call Finding Fault Like There's a Reward for It. Rebellion dogs, we're not against skepticism. We're not against criticism. No way. There's nothing that would be disloyal about being critical. Expect more from your government, your home team, your science community, and or your 12-step group. We don't discourage critical thinking, maybe cynical thinking. We don't condone uniformity. To each their own. Everyone has a right to their opinion. That said, not everyone has a right to their own set of facts. There's only one history. In the case of math, more than philosophy, there's one right answer or interpretation to a given equation or question. Today, we look at AA the punching bag and some of the more divisive criticisms that have knocked on the door of 12-step lore, from Dr. Kane in Harper's Magazine in the 60s to Dr. Dotus today. Do you know the Harvard psychiatrist named Lance Dotus? Late in his career, as a relative unknown in 12-step circles, Dotus takes a few pot shots at the AA modality and the treatment industry that gobbles up the folklore of AA, the winning formula. Let's imagine for a moment being Lance Dotus. The AA modality we see as being unscientific, flawed, and we're surrounded by an apathetic majority that instead of challenging the status quo, they treat the recovery industry as business as usual, win some, lose some. Is Dotus to bite his tongue when peers refer to AA's Lasker Award, upon which a citation reads in part, The American Public Health Association presents Lasker Group Award for 1951 to Alcoholics Anonymous in recognition of its unique and highly successful approach to that age-old public health and social problem, alcoholism. Historians may one day recognize Alcoholics Anonymous to have been a great venture in social pioneering which forged a new instrument of social action, a new therapy based on the kinship of common suffering, one having a vast potential for the myriad of other ills of mankind. If we're this doctor that wrote this book, considering the contempt we feel for AA worship, wouldn't that just get us in the dotus cojones? Then Time Magazine declares co-founder Bill Wilson one of the 20th century's greatest men. The American Library of Congress names the book 
Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the 88 books that shaped American culture. Is everyone drinking the same Kool-Aid? What's a shrink to do? Uh, John M. on aaagnostica.org, April 6, 2014, wrote a review of The Sober Truth. It wasn't all bad. He said this, You might as well save a few dollars and dust off your old copies of Charles Buffet's 1998 Alcoholics Anonymous, Calter Cure, or Stanton Peel's 1999, The Disease of America, Ken Reggae's 1998, The Real AA, Behind the Myth of 12-Step Recovery, among others. It's deja vu all over again. Taken as whole, excluding these two chapters, as an aside, John really liked chapter 3 and chapter 7 of the book, the rest of the book is simply undermining itself. The authors are long on criticism, some justified as noted, but short on offering any proposal that realistically meets the challenges of addiction in our diverse communities today, apart from a recurring, almost mantra-like evocation scattered throughout the work that every alcoholic or addict should seek out a good psychotherapist, Dr. Lance Dodis's profession, as one might hardly need to guess. So, is the sober truth the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Let's listen to Jack and Tom one more time from A Few Good Men. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's perfect. Let's explore the background of this type of shaking the foundation. Since the millennium, everyone's a citizen journalist, aren't they? There's the Orange Papers, a self-proclaimed watchdog over AA cultism and the dark and sinister intentions behind the 12-step conspiracy. I don't dismiss that some people feel they've escaped a cult when they left AA. Some groups are kind of cultish. Some members demand heroes to worship and slogans to parrot. The Is AA a Cult balloon has been floated often. Dr. Arthur H. Kane wrote in Harper's Magazine in February 1963 an article called Alcoholics Anonymous, Cult or Cure? Cain attended AA, asked questions, which were often rebuffed with utilize, don't analyze, which he took as anti-scientific, and if he did, I don't blame him. However, complaining that AA isn't very scientific is like saying music isn't very logical. AA borrows from medicine, psychology, religion, and this quasi-medicine of AA for alcoholism both frustrates those who want to measure us, or it, as it does those of us at the last house in the block, the AA meeting, who are trying to evaluate AA the program and AA the fellowship. Not that it's AA per se in terms of public policy, but AA members can get as defensive as anyone when being criticized. A lot of AA was outraged and wanted to know what Bill Wilson was going to do about Kane's slanderous tone. As Francis Harrington reports in his book, Bill W., the biography of the AA co-founder, AA members responded to the article by bombarding Harper's with hundreds of angry letters. Other members wrote saying that they felt the criticism was important and necessary. 
Some even said that the view Kane had expressed were their views as well. Bill handled the brouhaha this article caused by writing an article in the grapevine suggesting that AA might be able to learn from our critics. He also indicated in an oblique way that he felt that some of what Kane had said just might be true. Let's get 21st century for a while, shall we? It's Season 2, Episode 10, Bullshit, airs August 19th, 2004. In his book Empire of Illusion, Chris Hedges warns us about when entertainment and news, when those lines get blurred. This might be a case of this. Penn and Teller are professional illusionists. Can they be called investigative journalists, or are they just entertainers? I asked that question and put it out there for you. We aren't going to weigh in one way or the other. Penn and Teller called bullshit on 12-step programs. Lance Dotus, who wrote the book we're going to talk about, was one of Penn and Teller's expert witnesses. Also, Steve Mack was on the bullshit show. He's a litigator with his own substance abuse background. He disagrees with many AA tenets, powerlessness, disease, and the always-ready-for-prime-time higher-power concept. On the Bullshit Show, Max says, The gist of the 12-step program is that you absolutely must turn your will in your life over to a higher power, called God, a very specific God, that cares what you do, day in and day out, or you will die. Uh, sorry, Penn and Teller, I gotta call bullshit on that one. That's a seductive trap for any new atheist to fall into. The, if someone says AA demands obedience to God, that must be true trap. Belief in a prayer-answering, sobriety-granting deity is the worldview du jour in AA, so finding certain presumptiveness about God of our understanding being inclusive enough for everyone is common. Mind you, AA atheists have been walking into the rooms, standing up for what they believe, getting better, staying sober ever since Jim B., who was at one time AA number four. But for the purposes of making an argument for binary thinking, such as the Penn and Teller's Steve Mack, this inconvenient truth won't deny him his 12 minutes of fame by rolling out circuit court decisions that found forced attendance at AA is unconstitutional based on America's First Amendment right to the freedom of or the freedom from religion. Hence, AA is religious. Never mention is that AA never has and never will contest such a conclusion. Hey, AA didn't suggest that courts send DUI offenders and drug dealers to meetings in the first place. We have no affiliation with the correctional institutions. And if those courts deem us religious, we won't agree or disagree. Be it controversial or not, that's not the point. We don't argue or engage in public debate. If you want to tell the judge that, hey, everyone has to believe in God in order to get sober in AA, that's your opinion and you win. Taking on the, and I say this in quotes, AA establishment is like waging war on Buddhists. The war will end when you stop fighting because they'll never lift a finger in defense. Now the Penn and Teller bit was hysterical. I watched it several times. They 
call out antiquated literature, a zealous faction inside AA, and the Fellowship's woeful lack of statistical analysis, which isn't our primary purpose. With no requirement for membership, no one checking homework, no exit survey, that doesn't leave much room for AA's own internal fact-gathering. Not everything that matters is measured, and not everything we measure matters. But Penn and Teller found something. They didn't understand it, or talk to anyone who had studied it, but it was a visual that looked great for their purposes. It was a graph based on AA's own internal triennial survey showing, as they put it, 5% of people who come to AA get sober. It's a perfect visual if you're selling the idea of AA failure, as long as you take a nice quick 15-second look at it. It starts with 19% on the left on the y-axis, and it travels like a hill going down the x-axis from 2 months to 3 months to 4 months, all the way to 12 months, where the numbers drop down 10% at 3 months, 7 at 6 months, and 5% at 12 months. See, 5% success rate, which incidentally is the same number as spontaneous remission or close enough for argument's sake. 5%, Penn and Teller 1, AA no score. The truth police have busted the widely held conspiracy that AA is relevant and helpful. I think Penn Juliet is of above average intelligence. Maybe he's a genius. Look at how eloquently he talks. His partner, Raymond Teller, is so smart in my mind because he stays quiet. I'll go out on a limb and say... These are some smart folk. Can they know so much about words and nothing about numbers? Mr. Juliet, a quick question about your graph. How come the starting number of people that you say come to AA is 19%, not 100%? If you go from A down to B and B is 5%, then doesn't A have to be 100, not 19 Anyway, we'll go over this for radio. It's harder here. Here's part of the answer. In 1979, when the first numbers were gathered and plotted onto this graph, 63% of the survey respondents were sober more than one year, which by a lot of professional standards is considered success. They weren't on this graph. By the fifth survey period in 1989, 66% of survey respondents had more than a year sobriety. They weren't on the graph. This survey doesn't represent AA's success or failure. What it does do is it looks at the 34% to 37% of people who, at the time of each of the five surveys, had been coming to AA for less than one year. The first year in any 12-step fellowship separates the window shoppers from the buyers. So again, for those of you listening, the graph shows this. On the left, month one, 19%. Month two, 13%. Month three, 10%. Four is 9%. Month five is 8%. It's 7% for month six and seven. 6% for months eight through 11, and 5% for month 12. So from 19, sloping down to five. Enough number crunching for a moment. Let's 
get some fresh air. To make a point, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and imagine Banff National Park. The National Park stretches on both sides of the Alberta-BC border in the Rocky Mountains of Canada, the Continental Divide. Imagine the snow-capped mountains. Breathe in the crisp, clean air. All who come to the National Park pass through Banff, Alberta, the town with the same name, population 7,584 residents. Four million people come to Banff each year. Less than 8,000 live there. Would Penn and Teller or Dr. Dotus conclude from this study that if 4 million people come every year and only 8,000 people live there, Banff is not a desirable place to be? Many came, few stayed. What else can you conclude except that Banff fails to appeal to travelers who pass through? If they liked it or got anything out of being there, They'd still be there now, right? Can all but 8,000 of the 40 million that came to Banff in the last decade be stats that prove Banff is a lousy place to be? Otherwise, they'd still be there. Is this a fair analogy? I don't know. But it's suffice to say that this graph might not show that AA has a 5% success rate, no matter how much two TV guys are sure that it does. It's more complicated than that, but to be fair, it is confusing enough that the well-intentioned can jump to conclusions. AA Recovery Outcome Rates, Contemporary Myths and Misconceptions This is a paper by three amigos of AA history lovers, Arthur S., Tom E., and Glenn C. It was published October 11, 2008 maybe because of this type of confusion. In there, they write, The handwritten graph is at the center of erroneous assertions that contemporary AA has a 5% success rate. The sequence of percentages at the bottom ends at 5% above the 12-month on the x-axis of the graph. This 5% value has been erroneously interpreted as the percentage of candidates who stayed a full year and it is a complexly inaccurate interpretation of what the 5% value actually represents. This paper presents consideration and discussion regarding the graph, its source data, composition, and most importantly, how it should be interpreted. Just as everyone visiting Banff, Alberta isn't looking to move in, not everyone who comes to AA needs to, wants to, or should stay. As Don McIntyre puts it in his How Well Does AA Work? Getting sober is a deliberate, not an instantaneous process. More on his paper later. AA isn't on a membership drive or staking its reputation on how many people who come to AA want to stay. Again, like the visitors versus residents in Banff, AA isn't looking to convert everyone but it makes room for anyone. The public information slogan is, if you want to drink and can, that's your business. If you want to quit and can't, that's our business. Call Alcoholics Anonymous. People who want to keep drinking should. People who want to keep drinking should not feel ashamed of themselves. Others who get the gist of things in the rooms and then take it from there, in other words, those who want to quit and can, be thee well. 
Do you prefer moderation management or harm reduction? A sincere good luck to you. What if someone wants to quit but can't? That's AA's niche. And we say give it a try. We know how you feel, or infamously, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. I've always been analytical, so I would love to know more about how to differentiate the facts from mythology inside AA. We've heard the 50-25-25 claims made by Bill Wilson to the American Journal of Psychiatry in 1949 in the foreword to the second edition of the big book in 55. Bill claims that half the people who really tried got it right away. Of the other half, half of those who really tried never got it, and half of those who really tried eventually got it. Was that anecdotal? It was. Was it different than compared to today? I don't know. I got sober in the mid-70s. Almost everyone then came on their own accord. Nowadays, courts, employee assistance programs, and medical practitioners make the same ultimatum that maybe only families and loved ones uh, made in the 70s. Go to AA now or get out. So today, many more are here without that sincere desire to stop drinking. They're just getting the heat off. They're just relieving the pressure, maybe biding their time. I mentioned the paper AA Outcome Rates from 2008. This publication may have been a reaction to slights like the bullshit show, the comedy citizen journalism that is Penn and Teller. But if the bullshit producers were after balanced journalism while the 2008 paper, which came later, clearly wasn't available to them, they wouldn't have missed the 2000 paper by Don McIntyre, How Well Does AA Work?, which was in Alcoholism Treatment Quarterly, which I quoted briefly earlier. If Penn and Teller didn't have access to this study in 2004, their guest Dr. Dotis had likely read it. So we'll measure these two academic looks at the 12-step community against popular AA criticism today. But wait, there's more. A third resource we'll draw from, the peer-reviewed 2003 Recovery Careers of People in Alcoholics Anonymous by Heath C. Hoffman. Don't worry, I'll give you links to all of these uh, reports at the end of the show. You should read them yourself. This one helps us define what is success. Some of this success that Hoffman talks about stretches beyond AA's sacred tenets. Hoffman's study observes four tracks for someone coming into and getting into AA. The insider, the graduate, the relapser, and the tourist. We'll get into those, but let's get a grasp of what this graph that these critiques are all about is really telling us. From AA recovery outcome rates, contemporary myths and misconceptions, here is some history on the AA triennial survey that caused the controversy in the first place. In 1968, Alcoholics Anonymous took an inventory of its membership in the form of a survey. Recognizing the need to know more about the fellowship, a small trial survey was conducted in a few groups by the regional trustees to see how members would respond to a voluntary, anonymous questionnaire. 
it went so well that the committee was set up to conduct a survey of 5% of the registered groups in the United States and Canada. It was Dr. John L. Norris, non-alcoholic chairman of AA's Board of Trustees, who first stated the need for more accurate information about AA and its members. In dealing with the medical and scientific community on the question of alcoholism and its treatment, Dr. Norris found that he could cite numerous examples of how AA works, but that he lacked facts and figures. He posed this problem at a meeting of the Policy Committee of the Board of Trustees and requested that the fellowship explore ways and means of providing more accurate information. Dr. Norris stated that there were two major reasons for undertaking this survey. One, to enable AA to furnish more accurate data about the fellowship and its effectiveness to the growing number of professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, social workers, law enforcement officers, and others who are working today in the field of alcoholism. Two, to provide AA with more information about itself so that members can work more effectively in helping the many millions of alcoholics who still suffer throughout the world. That first survey in 1968 sampled 11,355 AA members in the United States and Canada. It was so well received and useful that the General Service Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous has continued the practice on a regular basis. The triennial survey has been conducted by AA every three years since the first survey in 1968. Now this graph that everyone's talking about is called percentages of those coming to AA within the first year that have remained the indicated number of months. The same question, I presume, is asked and numbers are plotted for the survey from 1977, 1980, 83, 86, and 1989. Now, the average length of sobriety among members has increased from 1977 when it was four years to just under 10 years in the most recent 2011 survey. Later this year, AA will be doing another survey. In 77, 37% of survey respondents in AA were sober less than a year. In 2011, that number has shrunk to 27%, 37 to 27, down 10%. More are sober longer. It's these first-year members that all the fuss is about. Of note, of members that were coming to AA for less than a year, from the first month to the third month, half left. It dropped from 19% of respondents to 10%. Did AA let those people down? Now, if we knew why they left, that'd be very helpful. We don't. The architect of the membership survey qualifies that first 90 days as a just browsing thank you period where potential AA members weighed their options as to AA's relevance for them. Here's what Norris said as reported in How Well Does AA Work? In the 1977 survey analysis, Norris specifically comments on the first 90 days of a beginner in the AA program, designating it as the introductory interval. While newcomers are by tradition members of Alcoholics Anonymous, if they say they are, these are in fact members in training. 
They are being educated about the fellowship and its program. During this period, the beginners examine the beliefs and practices of the fellowship and form opinions as to the probable suitability of AA to their needs for personal help with their drinking. They are in the process of making a decision that may well be the most important of their lives, true commitment to sobriety. This is the 90-day period that Norris presents as the introductory interval. Now, this 2003 study of AA careers by Heath Hoffman is entitled Recovery Careers of People in Alcoholics Anonymous. Hoffman identifies four types of AAs. Now, the insider is the rank-and-file member that we all know. It includes the elder statesman, the circuit speaker, and the wallflower. The graduates behave just like the insider for a while. At some point, the member's purpose, priorities, and preferences change. The would-be insider becomes the graduate. The relapser, we know her or him. They are active in AA culture, and then they're back into their addictive routine. Back and forth, back and forth. We hear the stories of the 24th rehab followed by 20 years of continuous sobriety. We also lose friends and wonder if there was more we could have done. Now the tourist. This is the fourth category of AA member. As the title tourist suggests, these people are engaged, inquisitive, and fully into learning and experiencing everything about AA, its program, the fellowship. They study it. They take it in. Once they've got what they need, their time is up. They return to their regular lives. The recovery careers of people in AA studied by Hoffman of the Department of Sociology at the University of Georgia doesn't suggest that we can predict with certainty what the future holds in store for any of these four AA careers. The insider could relapse, just as the graduate or tourist might. The relapser might get it together. Hoffman is clear that her findings aren't exactly AA slogans. The paper flies in the face of one of the most basic AA tenets, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. The study does recognize those who return to respectable drinking. Hoffman says, Suggesting that an AA member can get better and return to moderate drinking contradicts AA's philosophy. Even if an AA member, be she a newcomer or seasoned veteran, stops going to meetings and does not resume drinking, it's assumed by most members that she will live her life as a dry drunk describing the misery that characterizes life of the active alcoholic, but without alcohol. This report, does it present a conundrum inside and outside of AA ranks? One of the taboo topics, but undersold features of 12-step programs, is that this isn't a life sentence. AA, according to Hoffman's findings, doesn't trade chemical or process addiction in for a dependency on meetings and or a circle of step one through 12 and back to one again, for some, 12-step culture becomes a new way of life. We can see how someone would give up their bar-crawling ways and become a regular AA meeting, conference, and socializing member. For an alcoholic, both are habits. One is healthier than the other. For the AA critic, 
Maybe the dissipating number of people in their first months compared to members getting their one-year medallion isn't a failure of AA at all. What is success, objectively? Could getting a leg up in AA and then getting on with life be called an AA failure? Can AA get the credit for the tourist's sobriety? The only judge is that member, and that information is a tad subjective. And what about someone drinking again? Is that a failure? Compare AA to chemotherapy. How many chemo patients become cured of cancer? But isn't the point to improve or extend the quality of life? Not to be too morbid, but a relapser may die of alcohol addiction, but maybe their checkered sobriety was better than the alternative. In The Sober Truth, in what he calls A Big Question on page 44, Dotus says, The likely explanation is simple. People stay in AA if they're getting better and leave if they aren't. This is understandable. If you are able to stop drinking, continuing to attend AA is comfortable and affirming. If you struggle with drinking and can't make use of the AA approach, then you're less likely to keep attending. Over the long term, the people who remain in AA are, by definition, the success stories. Hoffman wouldn't agree. First of all, people who leave AA may be the success stories too. I don't think we can come to these judgments without asking them or measuring their life before and after AA. Hoffman talked about the graduate or tourist who, while Dodes and company write them off as returning to active alcoholism, may well be the fastest and brightest of the class. Also, you can't look at 12-step culture without looking at migration. How many of the people who went to AA for the first few months are now in recovery in another 12-step fellowship, Narcotics Anonymous, for instance? Many of the hundreds of 12-step fellowships encourage newcomers to go to open AA meetings. Though they may not be alcoholics themselves, they'll learn a lot. Those people may no longer show up at AA, but still be active in another fellowship. Also successful. Some of the people who self-disqualify themselves from AA are right to do so. We hear it said that no one ever walks into an AA meeting by mistake, and we hear that because even the cleanest and soberest of us all, at one time, we said that too. I'm different. This isn't for me. I'm sure I'll be okay without it. Denial is almost always going to be present during the shock and trauma of being confronted with the possibility of being an addict. If you say, thanks for your time, but this really isn't for me, at most meetings, others will roll their eyes, laugh and say, we've all been there, honey, keep coming back. Some people are ashamed because of a lost weekend and have health, financial, and relationship problems because of their bender. But that doesn't make them an alcoholic. The AA literature even suggests trying some controlled drinking if you're not sure. So not everyone who leaves AA and starts drinking again would call themselves a failure, nor should any statistician or researcher. So the point is that because many come to investigate AA who don't stay, it isn't sufficient to call the person, the fellowship, or the program a failure. Publicity for the sober truth was something that 
maybe publishers should study debunking and bad science. These are words in the title that win over cynical readers and, more importantly, cynical editors. Salon Magazine, Dode's home base, which is Psychology Today, and many major newspapers did a story introducing him to readers as an expert. Like in 1963, after the Harper's article, there was reader blowback. The problem for this type of unsubstantiated criticism is it flies in the face of what readers know to be true. Yes, the world being flat was something that we knew to be true once. But today, readers know AA, and they know AA members. Everyone would grade AA differently, sure, based on their limited anecdotal experience, but it's hard to tell them something doesn't work when that isn't their experience. Reader mail was mixed, but largely hostile to his unconstructive criticism. Sure, anyone who really is a bringer of change will be seen as a fool at first, but he'll also be offering an alternative. Yes, that alternative will be scoffed at, to start with, and then violently opposed. But if it has merit, in time, it will come to be seen as obvious. Dotus offers no vision. He didn't bring forth any new research. He offers nothing but criticism. The system, the AA rehabs, the AA programs, they're kind of like a B student. It could do better. There's room for improvement. I don't see how Dotus's book is part of a better tomorrow. He certainly didn't win his peers over. John Kelly and Jean Bernstein wrote, In Defense of Twelve Steps, What Science Really Tells Us About Addiction in Common Health Reform and Reality, and called the Dotus's book out for misrepresenting scientific findings. Who's this John Kelly? He's professor of addiction medicine at Harvard Medical School, president of the American Psychological Association, director of Recovery Research Institute at Massachusetts General Hospital. Jean Bernstein, medical doctor, professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, executive director of the Clay Center, also at Massachusetts General Hospital. The two had this response to the Dotus book. What can we do to prevent the scourge of addiction? And what can we do when it appears in a family member? Surely we all want a magic bullet. But we also want care that is based on sound scientific research and evidence-based treatment. There are no cures, but there is hope for recovery, sobriety, and while AA and 12-step treatments are not cure-alls themselves, research demonstrates that they are some of the most effective and cost-effective approaches of addressing chronic diseases of addiction in our society. These Harvard peers are critical in what they call a bizarrely distorted, misleading, and incorrect interpretation of the study's findings. And in his book, Dr. Dotus's commits the same misguided offenses he condemns. His critique of the science behind treatment of addiction is deeply flawed, and ironically, his own psychoanalytic model of an approach to solve the problem of addiction has no independent scientific proof of effectiveness, particularly in comparison to other methods or treatment. So, in the end, do I think you should read this book? No, I did. 
if you read 10 or less books a year, I don't think so. If you read 20 or more and 12 of them are about addiction, sure, spend a weekend with this book. Maybe if you know there's no punchline and there's no countermeasures to the modality that he criticizes, you can read it without suffering the dissatisfaction I went through. Kelly and Berestein said it best. We all want a magic bullet. Who wouldn't want to find a better way? But we shouldn't blame our frustration on the status quo, nor should we be complacent. Bill Wilson might have said this to Dr. Dotus. He wrote it in the AA Grapevine in 1965. Let us never fear needed change. Certainly, we have to discriminate between changes for the worse and changes for the better. But once the need becomes clearly apparent in an individual, in a group, or an AA as a whole, it has long since been found out that we cannot stand still and look the other way. The essence of all growth is a willingness to change for the better, and then an unremitting willingness to shoulder whatever responsibility this entails. So thanks for being so patient. Thanks for spending some time with Rebellion Dogs Radio. This is episode four, produced April 2014 by Rebellion Dogs Publishing. Visit us at rebelliondogspublishing.com or join us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Do you have ideas about this show? We want to hear them. Ideas about upcoming shows? We want to hear about that. We'll have connections to all of these studies and John M.'s review on AA Agnostica. In the spirit of constant striving, we're going to go out with a song. This is The Chronicles. The song is called Chronic Malcontent. I hope you enjoy it. I'm not happy being me. I couldn't handle being you. Don't give me what I want Cause I won't know what to do I'm a chronic malcontent Said a chronic malcontent You know you might be heaven sent But I'm a chronic malcontent Yes you Those who accept what they've got 
not discontent And I contend that that's a lie You seem preoccupied That I don't appear quite at ease It's just the way I am It's not a disease Attention all the 